Open up God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be all over the Scriptures this morning, so have your pens ready. But we're in week 3 that we've entitled this series, The Essential Elements. And we look to Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church, and we see what are the elements that Christ wanted His church to have that would be part and parcel to the ongoing life of the church. In the first week, we talked about the importance of biblical preaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They taught the Word of God and they taught the church that, and the church was dedicated to it. And then we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that they uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. And I'm so very thankful for the awesome job that Joe Denner did in uh, filling this pulpit and reminding us of the essential element that we have and the great need we have as needy people to bring our requests and concerns to God and that a healthy and vibrant church is a praying church and uh, we were reminded of that truth. I have the great opportunity today to preach on what is the fifth of the elements that we will look at and that is that of generosity. In Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47, the early church was known to be people of generosity. They gave to all who were in need. Then we see in Acts chapter 4 that uh, this giving to the need was funneled through the church. Uh, That Barnabas would sell a piece of his property and bring it to the leaders of the church and it would be used for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we see in Acts chapter 5 another example of giving, but not a positive one, a negative one. Where we see a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, where they lied to the people of the church and lied to God Himself about what they were going to give. And so we see this issue of generosity is one that should be modeled by us as Christ followers. And yet so often we, like Ananias and Sapphira, fall short in what we should be doing with regards to generosity. I want to preach this message under the heading, Christian Generosity, What Do I Do After I Say I Believe? You see, we came into a place, and you've dedicated this time to come and say, I believe in this God, I believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. We have sung praises to Him, saying He is awesome. We've said He is great. We have said His name is beautiful. We've spoken of His attributes, and we've said in in no less terms, You're everything to us. Well, that's easy to say. The question is, especially this morning, does the way I spend my money, does my checkbook say what I'm using or saying with my mouth this morning? That if God is my all in all when I worship, is that true in the way that I spend my money and even more specifically in how generous I am in giving back to the Lord. Now right away I want to speak to a group of individuals. I want to speak to the visitors in our midst and I want to tell you that in some ways this is family business. If you're new to the church and every Sunday we have new people that are attending the church and I want you to be a fly on the wall and I want you to to listen but I'm not speaking specifically to you. I'm speaking to every person who has made uh, either through their attendance or through their declaration made the commitment to Village Bible Church being their home. And then you would know a couple things. Number one, we don't talk a lot about giving. 
We don't pass an offering plate here. Uh, giving is something that we believe is done by disciples. So if we make disciples, we know disciples will not only serve, but they will give to the glory of God in heaven. And so I'm speaking to a group of individuals who call Village Bible Church their home. Now, in week one of this series, I told you one of the hard things about preaching is from time to time, the preacher is going to poke at people. If there's an area where the preacher pokes is when we start talking about money. Some of you are all together nervous right now, or you're saying, well, here we go. The church is talking about money again. And again, if you were to look at our history, you would see that that's not the case. We uh, want to preach and proclaim the word of God. And here's the thing. The Bible talks a lot about money. And so from time to time, we're going to speak on the subject of money. In fact, 2,300 times the Bible speaks on the study of stewardship, finances, or giving. In fact, 125 principles are laid out in the New Testament alone about our need to get this under the sovereignty of God. God has a desire for us to use the money He's given us in a specific way, and we need to uh, commit ourselves to living with the money he gives in a way that honors God. Now, here's the problem. We have a problem. And what we need to do is we need to recognize this morning the problem we have when it comes to money. Now, as we look at the world, we could say, well, all the world has a problem. Yeah, we live in a world that has a problem. We live in a country where our government has a problem with money. Amen? Trillions of dollars in a problem. And we live in households that have problems with money. The average credit card debt of an American family is in the tens of thousands of dollars. A recent study or survey or poll was done by CNN that said most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. We live in a world that has a problem with money. We need to recognize that this morning. But here's the problem. When you look at any study or any survey, it it tells us that Christian families live with the same amount of debt and difficulty when it comes to finances as the world does. So this whole salvation thing that we have hasn't reached our pocketbooks. When it comes to generosity, when we look at the average giving of people who say Jesus Christ is their Lord, it's around 2, 2.5%. You say, well, that's great. At least we're being generous until we compare ourselves with the watching world and the difference between us who say Jesus is God, Jesus is King, Jesus is my all in all, and those who say I am my all in all, the difference is about a half a percentage point. So the unbelieving world gives about 1.5%, and the Christian world gives about 2, 2.5%. And it seems that there's a whole lot more that we confess with our mouth than what the half a percentage point shows. So the first thing I want to do this morning is recognize the problem we have. You have a problem. I have a problem. And if we will recognize we have difficulties with this issue of money we will find ourselves at a better place. We recognize the problem is the first step to a solution. So let's look at what our problem is. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. In his Sermon on the Mount, he says the following, starting in verse 19, follow along with me. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
Why would Jesus say that? Because we have a problem of laying for ourselves treasures here on earth. We love our treasures that we have here on earth. Well, the problem with that is that moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So we are to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If there was a crux to my sermon today, it's verse 21. Where is your treasure? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat that up a little bit. I'm gonna push back on that because I think a lot of us would say our treasure is Jesus. But the problem is, is that's not being translated into the generosity that God calls us to. That's why he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one, and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And this is what he says. You cannot serve God and money. So maybe this morning you're saying, hey, I serve God. But as you look at your checking account, as you look at how you view money, you might see that your real Messiah, your real Lord is not God, even though that's what you may proclaim, but is in fact the almighty dollar. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that says cash is king. But as we enter this place, as we open this book, we see that God has a word. God says, I am king. And everything we do, including how we spend our money, needs to be put under His sovereignty, under His kingship and lordship. Now, what are the problems we have with money? First of all, money's not a bad thing. God created money. It is the love of money that gets us into trouble. Why do we love money? Well, there's three reasons why we love money. Write these down. Number one, it's because we think money brings satisfaction. So what happens is, is we get money from our work, or it's given to us from somebody, and we take that money and we turn it into things that we think will make us happy. And so we go and we buy things. And at the heart of it, we need to recognize that buying things isn't bad. We need clothing. We need a car. We need a roof over our heads. There's, there are certain things that are required for us. And God isn't beating us up over that. What God's wanting us to reevaluate is, where is my heart? And so when we buy that house, when we buy that car, when we buy those clothes, when we buy those things, is there a part of us that is feeling some level of satisfaction that it's filling something in us? we got to be careful with this. Because things can serve to become idols in our lives. And we begin to think we're something, or something is being filled by the clothes we wear by the car we drive, by the kind of house we live in. And we think that that house we buy will inevitably become the home. We believe that that car we'll buy will fill the need that we have to be satisfied. But the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes that we will uh, be studying here in the next couple of weeks tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, that nothing in this world will bring us the satisfaction we're looking for. That we, like the theologian Mick Jagger would say, we're looking for satisfaction. We try, we try, we try, but we get none of it. Some of us are trying to buy our way into satisfaction, and it ain't happening. 
Problem number two. We think that the things we buy will bring significance. They'll bring significance to us. Let's face it. We live in a world that if you have money, you're viewed as successful. You're viewed as significant. And we recognize and know that we buy certain things for the level of significance they have. Nobody wants to wear no-name clothes. Nobody wants to wear generic uh, uh, apparel. Nobody wants to drive generic vehicles. Nobody wants to live in a generic house. And we start labeling things. We label the neighborhoods we live in. We na- label the cars we drive. We label the clothes that we wear. And deep down inside, we buy the things we do, not because they're made by any uh, better things. They're all coming from China, let's be honest. But the label says I'm significant. The label says I'm important. And for some of us, we buy things because we think by the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the things that we have in our possession, that people will say, wow, he must be important. She must be important. They must have lots of money because they're wearing that thing. They're driving that thing that has a certain label that sets it apart from everything else. Again, in Ecclesiastes 2.11, Solomon says this is worthless and vain third reason why the love of money is a problem is not because of significance or satisfaction, but because we find our security with money. And some of you are saying the previous two aren't a problem, and maybe that's true, especially as you get older. You learn that money doesn't satisfy. You learn that money doesn't bring status. In fact, uh, Dave Ramsey says often we buy things with the money that isn't ours so that we can impress friends that aren't ours to a world we really don't care all that much about. But when we get older, we start seeing money as a security. And so some of you are looking at your retirement and your bank accounts and saying, am I secure? Do I have what I need? And again, Solomon reminds us in uh, Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, that money has a way of letting us down. Well, how does it let us down? It doesn't take care of the problems that we are facing. Let me give you an example. And I say this with all due respect to him, but Steve Jobs is one of the richest men in all of human history. Studies say that his net worth upon his death was somewhere between 6.7 billion, that's personal net worth, all the way to 20 billion. That is, he had so much money, the accountants can't even figure out how much he had. Here's the problem. Money let him down. After making all of those billions of dollars, he could not buy his way out of pancreatic cancer. With all the billions of dollars, he couldn't add a minute to his life. With all those billions of dollars, he could not take away his pain. Now I say that again with respect, but as a wonderful reminder, we who are far poorer than that, if we think money is going to bring us any level of security, we're wrong. Now, the world should have these problems. The world should be looking for satisfaction. The world should be looking for significance. The world should be looking for security. But Christian, we have Jesus. We have all that we need. 
And the problem is, is money has become an idol for far too many of us for our satisfaction, for our significance, for our security. And I can tell you dozens of verses who say Jesus says to his children, I'm all of those things. You don't have to look anywhere else. And for some of us this morning, we have a real problem with money because we've replaced Christ, even though we sing about Him, even though we attend a church that's all about Him, we have exchanged Jesus Christ for the God of money. And we need to recognize that. We need to confess that. We need to repent of that. Because if we don't, we will never be where God wants us to be on this subject matter. So recognize the problem. Number two, we need to remember God's perspective. What's God's perspective on these things? What does God have to say about this issue of money? Who cares what Tim has to say? Tim's got the same problems you do. I buy things I don't need to impress people I don't need to impress. I run the temptation of getting things because I think I need them when I really don't. I fall prey to the advertisers like you do. I have that same euphoric feeling when I get into a new car and that smell that leaves very quickly in the Badal house. I've been there. I've done it. I'm dealing with it. Money's a problem. So we don't want to listen to Tim. Who cares about Tim? Let's listen to what God has to say. God says this. Write this down. I am the supplier and I am the sustainer. I am the supplier and I am the sustainer. Listen to God's own words. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it. Deuteronomy 10, 14. To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens. The earth and everything in it. Psalm 50 verse 10, For every animal of the forest is mine, even the cattle on a thousand hills. Verse 12 of Psalm 50 says, The world is mine and all that is in it. What about the money? Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. You say, well, okay, that's fine. Everything in the world is his, but at least I've got my body. That's mine. I can do with it what I want. My body, my choice, right? Well, this is what God says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, I could go on and on. This is just a fraction of all the things God says. But it doesn't take a Bible scholar to see what is in plain English, that God owns everything. That God is the ruler of everything. That God is the giver of everything. If we were to uh, put in one statement what the Bible says about God and the stuff of this world, it would be this. My favorite quote from Abraham Kuyper, there's not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus doesn't cry out, this is mine, this belongs to me. And so what happens is, is when we start making money more than God, we start arguing with God about whose money it is. If we were to go into the nursery right now, we'd probably see two kids fighting over a particular car or toy. It's mine. No, it's mine. And they argue and they start fighting over it. Well, some of us right now are fighting with Almighty God about whose money it is. Is it yours or is it His? 
If we are fighting about whose money it is, we will never be generous as God has called us to be to others and back to Him. That's why in Ecclesiastes 5.19, Solomon says, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power are to enjoy them. But to accept their lot and rejoice in their toil for all of this, what was all of this? The wealth, possessions, power to enjoy them, your lot, your position in life, and your ability to work. He says, all of this is a gift from God. Everything you and I have is a gift from God. Our ability to work is a gift from God. So you say, I did that. Well, yeah, because God didn't give you an aneurysm before you did it and you didn't die. He gave you the ability to use your hands, to use your brain. And so you have accumulated wealth for yourself. God did that. He just gave you the breath and the needed resources and intellect to accomplish it. And so when that paycheck comes in, it is not you saying, oh, look at what I've got. It's look what the Lord has given. And so what we need to recognize is God's got a perspective. So where does that leave us? If God is the supplier and sustainer of all that we have, then we are simply the stewards of God's stuff. We are stewards of God's stuff. I have two roles in my life, two jobs. I serve here as pastor, and then I'm a general manager of a catering company. In both places, from the outside, it might look like all of the stuff that's around me is mine. So let's talk about the church for a moment. I serve as lead pastor at the church. And for those on the outside, they may think, this is all mine. There's some pastors, let's be honest, who think the church is theirs. And if we were driving down this road and, and I pointed out to one of you and said, hey, there's my church. And you're like, oh, that's the church. No, that's my church. And, and what I could do is I could show you my job description. My job description says that I have, I am, I, I love the phrase ex officio. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds important. Ex officio of every meeting. That means I can go to every meeting I want to. That's kind of important. I can be in the church building at all times. I can use it as, as long as it fits within the guidelines of Christian ministry. I can use it however I want. It seems like I've got a lot of power and authority. But I need to remember this is not my church. I need to remember I'm a steward of it. I've been given great authority within this church. But with that authority comes responsibility. And with that authority comes accountability. I'm accountable to the guiding elder team, my fellow elders. I'm accountable to uh, you as the congregation. And let's not forget a certain someone named God. And if I forget that, there's a whole lot of pain and sorrow coming my way. Let's move to 5B's Catering. I run a business called 5B's Catering. I have run that business since 1996. And I control a lot of the things that happen there. I buy vehicles and equipment for the company. I pay a staff. I, I, I book events. I do events. Man, I run the books. All the money goes through me. There's not a part of it that I don't touch. That, until, that is until my dad says, Hey, don't forget I own the place. 
You see, my dad started the business with my mom in 1979. They own, listen to me, 100% of the company. I don't own a penny. And yet I have this great authority. I make more decisions than my dad does with regards to the company. And yet he owns it. Are you getting the picture? You and I have been given a lot of authority. But don't ever allow that authority in your mind to think it's yours. So God has given you this money. He's given you this wealth. And we begin to think in our minds, well, I get to choose where I get to spend it. I get to invest it the way I do. Yeah, but the problem is, there's an accounting that's going to happen. Jesus tells more parables that have this subject line or theme. A rich man is about to head out of town for a long period of time. He gathers his servants around him and he gives to them portions of his estate, not as an inheritance, but on lease until he comes back in an undetermined time. So he goes away. And the servants are given a great latitude as to how to use those resources. The only thing that God requires, or the, the Master requires, is that they honor him with what they do. The problem is, is when the Master comes back, he does an accounting. Some of the harshest words in Scripture are for the servants who use the resources of the Master on themselves or foolishly use them for temporal things so that there was nothing left for the Master when He came back. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 14, each of us will one day give an account of what we have done for Him. There's a day coming where every Christ follower will stand before God and will give an accounting, and yes, a financial accounting. I gave you all this money. What did you do with it? Of which when people have not, where they've selfishly used it on themselves, adjectives like wicked and worthless are used by Jesus Christ Himself. We need to recognize God has a design for his money and how it is to be used. That leads us to what we need to do next. And that's we've got to reflect that pattern. So, so what does God's generosity look like? If God's the one who's going to give an accounting for how we spend our money, then we have to ask the question, well, how does God spend his riches? How does God spend his resources? And we look to the scripture... And the Bible says that God is a giver. Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift of Jesus. God gave. He's generous. He gave an indescribable gift. And while we can never match the generosity of God, matching His generosity is not the issue. Modeling it is. Does our generosity model that which has been modeled for us? So let's talk about what a model of generosity looks like. Write this down. Our generosity should be willing. It should be a willing generosity, done willingly. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave. The Scriptures don't say, for God so loved the world that He had to give. It doesn't say that God was required to give. 
or he was under the requisite of giving, or he was under the compulsion to give. He just gave. Out of the great kindness and mercy and grace of his heart, he gave. And so what I want you to know today, it is not my job, nor is it my aim, to guilt you to give to God. I do not want you to leave this place feeling guilty and putting money in the offering plate. If I have done that, I have failed in my job. Because you are not to give begrudgingly. God did not give begrudgingly to us. He gave willingly. We should as well. Number two, He gave joyfully. He gave us His Son. And what does His Son do? His Son endures the cross, scorns its shame. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says that Jesus went to the cross with the joy set before Him. But wait a minute. The cross meant pain. The cross meant sorrow. It meant uh, disfellowship with His Father in heaven. It meant death. It meant sacrifice. Jesus did it because the object of His love was so great in His mind that any measure of giving would be worth it. Parents, you know this. We love our children so much that it is so much joy to give. Man, I remember having kids and feeling like, well, Christmas is kind of over, right? Because Christmas was about you when you were the kid, right? You know what's better than Christmas Day for a kid? It's Christmas Day as a parent. To see your kid's eyes light up as you give the joy that comes. The Bible says it's, it's better to give than receive. There's great joy that is there. Jesus gave joyfully. Notice He gave sacrificially. He gave His one and only Son. So one theologian said this, God gave heaven's best in the gift of Jesus. God demanded that we give our best in the Old Testament. He commanded the Jewish nation to bring the first and best of their crops and of their herds and to give it to God. Well, that was before Jesus was in the equation. So how much more are we called now that Jesus has come that we would not give our best? Quite frankly, some of us are not experiencing the blessings of God because we give God our leftovers when He gives His best. So are we giving willfully, joyfully, sacrificially? If not, there's some realigning that needs to be done. My final point is we need to realign our practice. For some of us, it's a real struggle when it comes to giving. And there's a variety of reasons. We need to acknowledge and affirm the ownership that God has of all the stuff we give. And we need to ask the question, do I give in a way that matches the way I sing and the way I believe and the way I announce to the world of how much I love Jesus. 1 Corinthians 16 helps us with this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so I do to you. On the first day of every week, each of you should put something aside, store it up, as he may prosper, so there may be no collecting when I come. There's three principles of giving here that I want to share, and then I'll close out this message. First of all, giving needs to be planned. 
on the first day of every week. That's the worship day. We need to come and we need to be ready to give. That is, we've made a decision that because God is so important in our lives, I'm going to set aside not only a time, but a part of my treasure to the Lord. And so I'm going to give regularly. Now notice what it says next. It's planned, it's personal. On the first day of the week, each of you, each of you, not some of you, not half of you, not 99% of you, but each of you, not the rich yous in the group, but all of the yous in the group. Based on that one part of that verse, on the back of your bulletin, we highlight the each of yous that gave in the month prior. And so you see on the back of the bulletin that last month, 57% of the each of yous gave. Well, that's great. That's great because that's the, that's the majority. That's good. But wait a minute. We come here and we say Jesus is our all in all. Now, that's not that they gave $1,000 or $10,000. 57% of the people that call Village Bible Church their home gave a penny or more last month to the church. We say as a church, we believe in what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, it's clear as day here, each of us should give. We should give. If we call this place our home, when we come, we should be ready to give. And so, my challenge to you this morning is if that's not part and parcel to your life, let's do some planning for that. And the only reason why I bring it up, if God's not important to you, that's fine. But if we say that God is our all in all, then surely our bank accounts and the way we spend our money should join in and be a part of that. Notice it is personal. It is to be planned. It's to be proportional. It is to be proportional. The NIV says in keeping with one's income. And so now right away you say, okay, Tim, well, what's the amount you want me to give? Is it before taxes? Is it after taxes? Does it include the bonus at the end of the year? Uh, give me the number. Well, here's the problem. When Jesus Christ came, when God gave His one and only Son, He didn't give a percentage, He gave a person. And we need to stop asking the percentage question and say, God, this is all yours. And so I'm going to be open-handed with my giving. I'm going to be open-handed. And so while 10% is a, a, an item that was used in the Old Testament, it wasn't gotten rid of in the New Testament, that may be a, a percentage that you want to work with. Let me let, me let you know kind of where, where I find myself. Some time ago, Amanda and I were, were convicted about our giving. And here's why. Because I stand up in front of a whole lot of people and I talk about how great my God is. And I say a lot about that. I tell people they should make God great in their lives. And it dawned on me that my giving wasn't to the level that it needed to be. What I mean by that is my preaching boasted more about God than my pocketbook did. And the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. And it took a while to get to. And some sacrifice needed to be made. But I made this commitment. And my wife joined me in it. And we've lived with this. And I'll tell you, we are blessed because of it. Here, here's where we are. 
the number one expenditure in the Bedal household isn't to our house, isn't to our cars, isn't to college tuition, isn't to kids' sports. It is giving back to gospel work, including Village Bible Church. And the reason why is by conviction and by conscience, I could not say that Jesus was my all in all when he was number nine on my list of financial responsibilities. And so we made that commitment. Now, is that the commitment God's given to you? That's between you and him. But if I'm going to boldly tell people that Jesus is everything to me, then surely my bank account should say something about that. And the question we need to ask this morning is this. If you were to hand your neighbor your checking account statement, would they have any idea that you love God? Would there be anything that says that God is even existing in your world? Or would they see that you are king and you get everything from it and you are not acknowledging in any way, shape, or form that there's this God, and let's just add to it, this God whom you say is everything that you own your eternity to, that you're, you're putting your whole lot in life there. If, if your money isn't showing it, then I'm going to ask the question, stewardship is everything I do after I say I believe something is disconnected. So here's what I would say, and I'm closing with this. Maybe it is because you find yourself in a heap of debt, and I get it, and I don't want to guilt you over it, and you're like, man, I need to fix that. We want to help you. In, a, in the next month, we're going to be starting Financial Peace University. One of our elders, Phil Beatty, is going to be leading that. That's something we went through as a church some years ago, and it was incredibly transformative. And we were able as a church to rid our personal accounts of great debt. And we want to gift that to you. We want you to join and be a part of that and, and to deal with some of the practical things of money management. Number two. I want to say this. I don't want anybody that's not planning on giving today to give to Village Bible Church. You hear me? I don't want to see this influx of people that have given because you would have done so out of compulsion. But I want you to pray about it. And I want you to ask the question, does my generosity, does it balance what I say about my Lord? And if we're making big boasts about our love and our passion and our hope and our faith in the Lord and our giving is lagging behind, then between you and the Lord, not your pastor, between you and the Lord, get together with your wife, maybe pull your kids into this and say, from this day forward, we're going to give. And if there's opportunities for you to give outside of Village Bible Church, that's great. But if you call Village Bible Church your home, if this is where you're getting your spiritual food, if this is where your family's being discipled, then I would encourage you to join with us in this. And here's what I've come to realize. We can never outgive God. Because God is so incredibly generous to us. He's our Messiah. He's our Lord. And my prayer and my hope, as difficult as this sermon is to preach and to hear, that we would allow God to do some work in our hearts and our minds and that whether in word or in the deed of giving, that it would balance and that people would know that we love Jesus and that it impacts everything, including how we spend our money. Amen?